From grain to glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. And we're also joined by Gordon. How's it going? Gordon is And this here. is the best beer show on the internet. According to our mothers. Thank you, Gordon. Brian will never say it. I don't think I've ever said it. You you won't. You refuse. We've had that conversation. It's not my byline. Like I don't. You're right. It's not. I've been. (laughs) You've been on this show for almost four years now, and you do not have a byline. Working on a byline. (laughs) I think Brian's byline is I'm working on a byline. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, the American Homebrewers Association does a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and now they support us. During the AHA, we'll give you at, uh, discounts at homebrew shops, like tap rooms, including Hop and Barrel, uh, as well as give you access Woo. to fan- the fantastic Zymergy magazine. And if you haven't checked out Zymergy, you really should. It's phenomenal. I read it when I'm on the pot. It's uh, it's the best poop read. <laughs> uh, click on the referral link of our homepage and join today. Uh, also, since you're on our homepage, go ahead and click on that patron link or head over to patreon.com slash blindnessstudios and become a patron. Uh, and if you want, I will give a shout out to our delightful Black Belt patrons, including Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornsson, Tyler Romanski, Hoffenbrell Brewing, Brian Bryanson, Devin Stinson, and Phil Feldman. Oh, the Devster's going to be up here with his lovely wife in, you know, almost exactly a month. Yeah, no, in, in a matter of weeks slash days depending on when you're listening Hiding. or in the past um, and then uh, while you're on our homepage as well go ahead and click on that store link uh, and it'll bring you to teespring.com slash store slash blind studios you can buy some of our really cool merch and so go ahead and do that all right um so we have we have a few things uh so looking back at last week um we did our very first commercial calibration episode uh we have uh regard like with your guys's feedback um i know we've heard from brian bryanson and a bunch of others about uh including gordon uh you know we had not that we listened to i think we had six or seven people uh email in about this and they were very excited about they want us to continue it but they want it to be a segment of the podcast instead of its own episode which i completely understand um they also want us to uh define a glossary of our flavor terms oh which uh that is going to be a work in progress guys i'm i'm gonna i'm we will do it but I need to compile them, and then Brian and I need to sit together and define them. Yeah, because, I mean, I probably use a lot of words that <sighs> you, you kind of have to put your own lexicon together, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think, uh, like, blocky or glassy, like, a million years ago was a way that that when when hops kind of, like, really were just a big chunk in my mouth... Back with you know the IBU race, yeah. we're probably talking a decade ago. I was running these beer tastings at my house in Northeast Minneapolis, and I didn't have a good lexicon. And then whatever I did have was only what kind of came up in my head. So I think that is a a good mission. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's kind of what we're setting out to do with the mm-hmm. commercial calibration. And why don't we go ahead and just start with that? We're going to, I think, I think what we should do is do it at the top of the show. I think that's a good idea. And then we can cool. Yeah. We better that 
ball around before and made, didn't make a decision. We didn't. So we're going to make that decision now. Um, and then later in the show, uh, we're going to talk about the next section of Brew Like a Monk, the Blam series, yes. uh, which is mashed into fermenter. And then at the end of this uh, episode, um, so while you guys are listening to this, think about what uh, the next book is because we are we only have two chapters left um, in this book before we need to decide the next one. Yeah, so we do rely on you guys. So we are uh, waiting for your guys' feedback on what book you guys want us to cover for a book club. All right, Gordon, um, Gordon already has, in true Gordon fashion, he already has his beer poured. Yep. <laughs> so uh, this week we are talking about Blue Moon, um, and we'll announce the the next, next week's beer at the end of this. Uh, but yeah, so we're doing Blue Moon right off the bat here. Uh, which is a Belgian white, is what it says on the label. Um, from is it, this is uh, Miller Coors, right? Yeah. It, well, yeah. It says uh, Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, which yeah. is uh, obviously a it's, subsidiary of Molson or yeah, Molson Coors. Coors. Yeah. And it says Belgian dash style wheat ale brewed with coriander and orange peel, and it actually calls out the. Uh, Valencia orange peel, which is cool. Uh, I definitely always want to know exactly what. So listening to your guys' feedback, uh, we are trying to find things that are also inter- uh, available internationally. Yeah, we do have a good contingent of international mm-hmm. listeners, which we do also rely on. And, um, and, and this, this is one that is available pretty much worldwide. I like the international listeners. They keep us on our toes as far as like the cross measurements, like Celsius and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then also like what's available there. Like apparently Sierra Nevada is readily. Yeah, available. Sierra Nevada, at least in the UK. In the UK. Um, so that'll be coming up. Sweet. We have uh, some Guinness coming up. We have. Ah, yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, if you guys have local beers that you think we can get here that you want us to try, we are happy to try them. Mm-hmm. We're, we're really happy to sit around and drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, twist I, my arm. Well, you know what you. I mean. All right, so uh, we're the way we're doing this. If you missed last week's episode or didn't tune in for whatever reason, um, we are going through the BJCP guidelines, um, kind of. In kind the fact of. that we're we're talking about aroma, we're talking about flavor, we're talking about mouthfeel. We'll pull a few selections from here, but I don't really expect this Blue Moon Belgian White Ale. It does not Thursday. fit in an I don't think exact. it's going to fit into twenty BJCP 2015 24A wit beer style. I highly doubt it. And that's fine. That's fine. Because this beer sells a shitload. Uh, I would like to point out that we have uh, Phil Feldman in the chat. <laughs> I'm and waving he, at you right now. He so. said that we're doing a good job to the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but did Phil, did you see the false start? I think he saw the false start. <laughs> <laughs> a rare one. Que- question on Blue Moon. Mm-hmm. Is their Belgian white different than their mainstream, just straight Blue Moon? No, Blue I, Moon, no, the Belgian white, white is a, like, this yeah. is the base okay, bel- that, Blue Moon. So that the question, I, reason why I ask is I remember having much more of an orange hue to it. it albeit, it's been I, this, seven, This looks about years. what it is. Usually, though, they do put an orange slice in it. There's that, too, and then also no, you, per, perhaps you have pulled a uh, six-pack or 12-pack or however you've had it keg 
that was a little bit oxidized because it was old. That'll the orange yeah, happens oh, okay. really yeah. quickly when well, it starts to the, oxidize. Actually, the, the last the time color. I had it was at uh, an event center thing. Um, pins up off six ninety four and all that shit to get real local, and it was like orange, orange, like almost the table orange. Oxidized. And that was coming out of a keg, and so Oxidized. I didn't think. Okay, yeah. I would then start looking for. We can go off on a tangent. I would start looking for sherry like or cardboard wet cardboard um, flavor. All right, so before we get too ahead of ourselves, mm. uh, let's talk a Roman appearance. Um, appearance-wise, uh, very yellow. You know, with a little... Almost almost golden, and we golden. will get the patented beer light back up in this room very shortly here uh, because we're going to need it for this <laughs> series. There's next to no clarity. Well, it, there's partial, cloudy. partial clarity in here, and this is would be on point with a wheat beer. So... It, you know, from an appearance standpoint, uh, we would be looking for like pale straw to to gold in color. And I'm our calling head, this golden. I'm me too. Right? Our head's gonna be white. And this had a very uh, white head that was long lasting. I would say mm -hmm. starch haze or yeast is gonna give it more milky white yellowish appearance. Very dense. Should be moussey. Head retention should be pretty good. But I mean, we're aroma wise, uh, very clove forward for me. Same. Yep. You get a lot of clove and a lot of that coriander coming through. A little bit of sweetness, too. Maybe kind of almost a honey. Uh, not really vanilla, necessarily, but grainy. Certainly grainy. Yep. Spicy. A little bit of that wheat aromatic as well. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's dive into the flavor. Gordon, do you have anything you want to add to the aroma? No, I was going to, that sweetness, it kind of reminds me of, like, if you've ever been on a farm, that fresh-cut wheat has mm -hmm. that sweet aromatic through the air. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. Um, and then anytime you add wheat to a beer and it's prominent, you're going to get some of that sweetness. It's mm -hmm. just kind of going to come through the aroma. We could say, too, that a couple <clears throat> things you don't want in this beer, and this would certainly be derived from fermentation, but, like, your vegetal celery, like ham, mm -hmm. You don't want ham aroma in your beer. I don't want <laughs> ham anywhere near my beer. I, I I take that back. I want ham on the side of my beer. I don't want ham in my beer. Blue moon side of ham. Casey says that all the time. Yeah, a, yeah, that's true. Like I get like a ham sandwich with the blue moon. I have a question <laughs> a about that, but we can. That's an uh, yeah. <laughs> God, we had too many beers before this show. <laughs> anyway, I disagree. I think we had the right amount. Oh, do you now? All right. So flavor wise, we're looking for something pleasantly malty, sweet grain, honey, again. <laughs> Lando I think Lando had there. too many beers before the show. I think he did. All right. Anyway, so uh, yeah. So flavor wise, come here. Um, I understand why it's like like why Blue Moon throws an orange in it. It's very citrus forward without being hoppy. If that makes sense, um, you have you have this flavor that it tastes like almost like candied orange. Where it's you're 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 pushing that orange flavor, but it's not fresh oh. citrus. You're totally right. Uh, there's like, and I, I want to emphasize too that there is like like zesty and clove. That just kind of comes, yeah, to and that and that's really great for this style of beer. No, it's, that's it's so macro. yeah, no, or, or, orange zest is a great way to to put it, mm -hmm. where you where you have like that that hint of orange, but it's not it's not full citrus. You know those um, those gummy candies that they look like fruit slices. 
uh, um, mm-hmm. they're co- yeah. coated in sugar. It tastes like a stale one of those that just, <laughs> it, but not 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 to. Oh, well, no, no, no. It, it tastes like the gummy part without the sugar on it. Yeah, and it this kind of hangs around. I can feel it like dissolving away. So then, that citrus is meant to enhance whatever. That is, that whatever the, the is going Esther, on in this the Esther beer. character that you're yeah, pulling, or, Esther the banana. Well, what would be banana if it were at a higher? If it was at a higher temperature, yeah. but we have a lot of clove in this. Um, and then, like you said, Valencia orange peel, right? Which mm-hmm. adds a slight bitterness and a very big, like, citrus hit. Certainly add bitterness, yeah. Yep. Uh, because it includes the pith. And so, like, from a homebrewer standpoint, if you're adding orange peel, like, so if you are zesting an orange to add into a beer and you don't want any bitterness being added, make sure you don't go down to the white. Don't go down to the pith. Well, yeah, let's back up, though. Like, let's talk about zesting. Uh, so zesting is, like, is an orange peel, but what you're trying to to kind of do is, like, you, you don't want to grab the whole orange peel and just sort of, like, mangle it around with your fingers, right? Like, no, you, you, you want a, it. Fine, a finely grated... It's, it is, and you can't, I mean, Phil, you're, you know, if people are watching this, uh, patrons and that, you can see me. You make a, you make a... a Outer edge of this peel, you make a twist and a drop. That's not zesting. Well, that's not zesting. That's that's a that's a twist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're and doing so what I'm saying is that like that zesting with... is when you shave it off. Yep. I'm sorry, I should have prefaced yeah. all yeah, this, yeah, but yeah, like to to me, this feels more like a twist than a zest. Yeah. Yeah, because it has the full orange peel. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's not pith in it, is what I'm saying, and like sometimes zesting. If you don't do it correctly, you get down to the pith and it's overly bitter. Yeah, but there, so there is pith in it because they're using the the entire orange peel, which mm-hmm. includes the pith. I think so. I think so. Hmm. I I, th- I I at least I get a pithiness. I'm not really getting any. And I, I haven't yeah. I haven't like I guess I need to figure out how to define pithiness. You really can't unless you've. I just it like again. But there's like I don't, there's a dryness on this like and it well the dryness the comes from the fermentation characteristic yeah. because as you know these beers are gonna ferment hotter. Uh, generally may have uh, these aren't gonna have sugar in them. Um, they are you can add like coriander and stuff like that into this, but, which this one has. Right. Normally these kinds of beers are fifty unmalted and fifty pale barley or something along those lines or like a pills. Generally, so it's real simple. There's this isn't the type of Belgian style that you're going to be jamming some sugar in, and so the dryness, I certainly just comes from over attenuation and possibly some of that pithiness. But I don't get a bitterness or a harshness, which for this style there should not be. That. There should not be a harshness. And this should be a very easy drinking style. I know you guys have covered uh, storage before, you know, like at a liquor store, or even at home if you're mm-hmm. aging beer, or whatever. If so, you know, Blue Moon, I mean, it's about as consistent as you can be on the macro level. Should be. It should be. But if a liquor store gets it shipped warm and then, or will rather get shipped cold and then they decide to keep it cold versus, or maybe they keep it out on the shelf. That's well, be careful cooler, with can that. Can that affect be, that? Yes and no. So extremes are certainly going to affect it, okay? On this, like wintertime where we're up here and, you know, not every truck is climate controlled. It's probably shipping here cold, and then you put it, it, it in the sales It's always sh- extremes. Don't have it in and out, in and out, in and out. Don't have it in your trunk all summer. Like if it's, if it's, you know, and, and to boot, I think that this almost definitely probably gets pasteurized too, mm-hmm. and so it'll kill any other stuff in it that's going to kind of mess with the yeast particulate, that kind of thing. But 
be careful with that. Yes, stuff sitting out on a warm shelf is is certainly after a, a, a pile of time going to have, you know. But if it rotates in and rotates out fresh, you're fine. Yeah. You know, we're talking six months, nine months, but these types of companies should have 120 day. So here's, uh, I feel like we've kind of hit on everything there is to hit on this beer flavor wise. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Do you consider this a Belgian? No, it's Belgian style. We've been over No, 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 no. Well, I mean, like, all right. So (laughs) do you consider this a Belgian style beer? I know know it says it on the label, but from what we've been talking about and what we're going to talk about today, does it... So for me, this is almost a um, a spiced Hefeweizen. Yeah. So this is more Hefeweizen than the one Hefeweizen we had recently, which was very disappointing. And I can't mm-hmm. remember what it was, and I probably shouldn't say the name of the brewery because I think they were local. But in any case, no. I, no, this is an American wheat beer to me. Wheat, American I'm sorry, wheat, wheat yeah. ale. Yeah. Be, which, is a, which is a style in oh, the BJCP. No, that's not a thing that needs to be happening. Oh, no, that's there, probably so. not a... Yeah. Yep, no. <laughs> we don't need to chew on that, Lando. Nope. Now, I, I would say... Ten years ago, if you asked me if this is a Belgian beer, I'd say absolutely. Oh, for um, sure. But now, no, I'm I'm with you, Brian. It's it's American wheat. Mm-hmm. What else is there though that's similar to this? And how did this beer get so popular? Uh, because it's incredibly different than anything on the market. At least it was at that time mm-hmm. when this came out. Like I remember the first time I had uh, yeah. this beer was in an Applebee's. Yeah, and they put an entire <laughs> slice of orange in there, and I was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, I, I know that's a very Midwest thing to say. Well, but. I mean, and that was probably back when it was less like just pull it off the glass and move on with your life, and you were more like, "I'm in the infancy of my craft beer snobbery," and why the hell did you do this? Well, I mean, you look at uh, so that was I turned twenty one in two thousand ten. God, you're a youngin. I know, I know. <laughs> when did I? Uh, About the same time as 2009, 2010. Yeah, 2009, summer of nine. Yeah, <laughs> just old. Uh, yeah, you know, but that like, and that was that was the thing. Like at that point, we were still like early days of college, and half price apps at Applebee's were mm-hmm. like the thing for a college student with no money. I just like the cool stuff started in craft beer started happening around 08, I think. Yep. 2008. Well, and that's when we had, like, the IBU boom and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And I'm not saying, like, I didn't drink beer before then. It was just the first time I had Blue Moon. I remember, I've told told this anecdote before, but I remember being in, like, when I was freshly 21, 2, 3, 4, going to this liquor store and buying some craft beer, and the owner was like, what is a a young guy your age doing buying this kind of beer? And I'm like, I don't know, it tastes better. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I ended up getting into, well, one of the reasons of homebrewing. I mean, w- one of these days maybe we should, and maybe this would be like a good episode to have with Devin or whatever, talk about our first experiences with craft beer. Well, shit, and <laughs> Devin's only, you know, Devin's he, in his mid-20s. He's younger than me. He makes he's me younger sad. Than you, yeah. <laughs> and he's better at Frisbees than... Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he's not better at Frisbees than Lando. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, because Lando puts more teeth holes in it than <laughs> <Yep>. Devin does. 
<laughs> so you can bite a frisbee harder. All right, should we jump into the? Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's talk about our thing before Bjorn starts yelling at us. He hasn't yelled at us in a while. Oh, no. That makes me sad. Ah, he'll yell at us for this episode. He's probably waiting until we're done with this book. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Whatever. All right, uh, so we are talking Mashed on 2 Fermenter. Um, So we're we're now finally into the homebrewing part of this book, which I'm very excited about. So we're talking everything pre-fermentation. Uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to start with water because that's incredibly important. And we're talking with water uh, specifically with an eye towards what um, the like the Belgian uh, Trappist breweries do. And I, I kind of hate that we don't have a lot of information on this. So in this book, there's a chart on page 158. This is an old chart. Uh, yeah, we need to talk about that a little bit. You want? I, I you can almost want to hit on that. Well, I, I can. I can almost guarantee you that it isn't that much different. Um, but you know, I, these these profiles are that we're going to talk about are based on averages within the region near the breweries. And most monastery breweries have their own water source, obviously. But it won't be much different than the water of that region in general. And so when we see like a massive deviation, there's. The the deviations in here are on this charter insane. Like so, if you look at it, and I I highly recommend you guys to study this a little bit, just to see um, West Mall is such an outlier. They're all over the place. Like like I mean like so you're looking at so West Mall has a calcium uh, level of forty one and bicarbonate level of ninety one. Yeah. So this calcium level is like outrageously low. Well, uh, uh, compared to everything else, um, the nearest the nearest one to that is a shell with sixty four. Echel, Echel, Ashel, Ashel. We we had this discussion when we Did tried we? It on the show. Yeah, whatever. And we couldn't. We found it. an Echel. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah. It's hard to find. We're fancy. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and their bar, their bicarbonate level is astronomically low. Like it's so low, I, like they have to be adding something mm-hmm. because May, it's ninety one. Yeah, and then I mean these other minerals, um, like magnesium, is more of a yeast health piece, and that's all. They're like, all kind of in the same range. Pretty like, ubiquitous. It, uh, like sodium levels here are all pretty low. For some reason, West Vladern has this like insane sodium. Sulfate level? Well, sodium and sulfate. Yeah. So sulfate to chloride. For sulfate? But, but look at the ratio between sulfate to chloride. Like they're they're up there, but they're balanced. But they're balanced. Which is good. Which is more than I can say for everybody except Chimay. Mm-hmm. Better for that to be balanced for what we're working with here. Mm, But yeah, so this water probably, the one we're looking at anyway was late 90s. So, all right, so for for Belgian beers, the water profile that you're looking at is you want something that's going to accentuate your malts. Um, So you want something that's going to, and forgive me wrong, you want something that's going to be bicarb heavy, um, calcium heavy. Like you, you want something that's gonna really like pull those up. An interesting thing too is that Westy is probably the most like vaunted one out of all of these, and their numbers are all r- over the place. real wacky, all over the place. And 
un- undoubtedly was they're known for like a more sour edge mm-hmm. to that too. And so, what, what what gives them the sour edge? Low a low pH, low pH in their in their water. Like mm-hmm. so, also like test your water. Um, I mean, it, it basically means you know, like remove chlorine, which is like r- real basic. Like, I think that's one of the only only things that is in common with all of them. Remove chlorine. Yeah. Sometimes right. they'll soften it with like a magnesium magnesium sulfate or like a spicier, softer. Let's it. let's talk grain. I feel like we have a lot more to talk about with grain. Yeah. So what in in my mind we're we're talking about just you know brewing like a monk Trappist beer. What I think of is pilsner and wheat, and I also think of like maybe depending on if you're reversing over into a double, a double or a trip. Well, maybe not necessarily a triple, but if you're trying to make that more caramely one, the double. So we're talking about. Certainly Pilsner malt, certainly a wheat, uh, maybe one to two color malts, and a couple of different types of sugar um, for just complexity and layering. Like, if you want to do it traditionally, that's that's yep. the way to go. Um, we'll hit on specialty grains in a minute mm-hmm. uh, and sugars. Uh, let's talk base, base malts. Base malts in our mash, like mash temps, stuff like that. Um, and if we're doing step mashes or not. So in the book, uh, and just as far as personal experience goes, a lot of Belgian breweries use, is it, is it Dingemans, Dingemans? Dingemans. I would say Dingemans, yeah. Um, and it's the Belgian maltster. Continental base malt. It's, it's the RAR of Belgium. (laughs) Good job, Lando. Um, so look like, and you, you can get all these malts in the U S I'm sure you can get them, uh, in Europe a lot easier than we can here. Well, yeah. And then castle, um, malting, which in that area is Maltali du Chateau and that's Belgium. We use, uh, there's a couple different malts that we use from Castle. You guys have a few uh, Belgian style ales on the in the rotation, don't you? Well, it depends. They usually go. Or at least seasonals? Yeah. Seasonal. Yeah. You should bring back episode three. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> that, was a, that beer was a total mistake that ended up being amazing. <laughs> it, it was. It also, it, that was the tipping point for me of uh, at your anniversary show, but that's nice. another show. That's um, another. So, so anyway, aside from... Aside from what malts you're yeah. using... Well, no, no, uh, uh, manufacturers. Oh, manufacturers. You want to use high, uh, Pilsner malt. Pils at the heart of it. And listen, okay, so back when this book was written, yeah, we were probably like, hey, let's let's jump into these step mashes. But, you know, and if you want to do the step mashes just for the fun of it, we're talking 113 degrees Fahrenheit or 45C for 15 minutes and raised to 144, 62C for 35. Finish that baby out at 158, which, or 70C, which honestly, with how highly modified malts are these days, I would... Frankly, like if you really want to like get gungy and do some experimentation, like you can certainly uh, take. We can take the Pepsi challenge of whether your step mash 
um, works the same way as this 15870C for, you know, the yeah, so entirety step, of the mash. So so step into decoction is, it's, it's a very contentious. Anecdotally debatable. Thing among home brewers and even commercial brewers. Uh, you had a brewer working for you that swore by decoction mash. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had another brewer working for you that swore by not doing a decoction mash because yeah. it made a shorter brew day. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have listened to them both on air. I'll let you guys decide <laughs> who is who. Um, but <laughs> um, it's 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 six to one, half a dozen of another. It's it's fine, and that and that's fine. I think the point here is that we we want a con, we want to convert our malt, and we also. Hands down, out of all these styles, what do we want the most? We want a well-attenuated product. Okay? Yeah. And, and that means, what do I always say? What is the acronym MALT? More alcohol, less, uh, temp. less temp. So that's more attenuated. So we're talking about a longer conversion at like a 146 to and 63C. Uh, don't mash off hot and don't let that get over 163 at all. But, you know, I mean, like when you're when you're trying to end the conversion, that's fine. But yeah, well, so when, when, you're if, not if really you're gonna, not doing a step mash, you're not like end if the you start low at 163, and but. you do and you mash out at 163, you're not ending the conversion. And like that's you're still converting well into the kettle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's for some some complexity. And your what? Why? When we talk about malt, more alcohol, less temp. What's happening with that mash? Where enzymes are chopping up into smaller chains. Higher, we're getting more chains. We're getting more body uh, for a less attenuated feel, which isn't necessarily the way to go. Yeah. So all right. So we're past your base. We're past um, the mash temp which are two very important parts of this. But I feel like once we start talking about grain bills with Belgians, this is where people kind of go off the deep end. And if you don't take anything away from this episode, take this one sentence from it. Don't confuse a catalog of options with a recipe. Mm. Um, I like While going through this book, I think that's one of the biggest things that stood out uh, for me. Like, you you have all these options. All these options are in different Belgian beers, but they're not all in them. Less is more when we're talking about specialty malts and sugars. So think about the flavors that you want rather than the malts themselves because we're, we're going to talk about malts. I want to go through this list. I want to chat about them. But um, where you are in the world... Regionally, there are malts that will get you to that flavor profile without necessarily being from a specific maltster that's supplying these Belgian breweries. And you need to think about that when you're building these locally. There's no reason you should be spending, you know, two fifty a pound for malt. Like, even, like, just don't... Like, think about, like, here we need to look at, like, Brees and Rar and some of our smaller local monsters on what flavors we can get versus, like, if we just go to, like, Dingemans. Yeah, and I, I really do think it, it matters which type of Pilsner malt. Like, between Continental or, like, a domestic, you know, they, they we're, we're talking about, like, pushing pH Things like that. Uh, another thing they note in this book is fan, which is free amino nitrate, which 
another way, like if you are catching too much fan, like this might be getting too deep no, here. We're not, no. But if you're catching too much FAN, I don't know, you know, it's 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 going to affect your pH. I mean, it's not, you know, the primary problem with high levels of fan is that the finished beer has a higher pH, which in our Westie case, like, or like Orval in a sense, like, I mean, they finish it with Brett, and so it's got a little bit, not sour, but it's got a little bit of, of flavor complexity. So I think my my point here is that if you decide to boost the fan by like using like some domestic, so, I don't but, think it's going to change mean, a but ton. At the, yeah. So at the same time, if you're raising the pH on an already acidic beer, it's not going to taste sour. You can also get too much fan if you are over using nutrient. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I mean, nutrient is you're just adding amino acids to mm-hmm. your yeast. Boom. And, like, of course you're going to end up with more fans. So there were a few beers that we made where you were creating, we, we call it a turn. So if you're doing one turn, you're brewing, on a 15-barrel system, you're brewing one turn, you're brewing 15 barrels. If you're doing two turns, that's 30 barrels. Doing three, it's seven, you know, do the math. So we were doing four-turn beers for 60, and we did the, there was no nutrient added to the last two turns. And two turns happened on Monday and two on Tuesday, and so while the beer was already well, it well into fermentation with you the didn't full, want to add any fan with the full pitch, and all that nutrient was already added. So on the last two turns, no nutrient. Well, because it already had everything it needed. It does, and it did, and yes. So yeah, you can you can get pretty deep into how how this might work, but it all boils down to how do you want to achieve the best result, you know. Um, so let's, let's talk about um, specialty malts that are specifically found in Belgian-style beers that, that we're talking about here. So we have our kiln malts, which is uh, Mer- uh, Munich and Aromatic. Um, so Aromatic malt is a big one for Belgian I beers. love Aromatic malt. Aromatic and Special B are kind of like your go-tos for Belgian-style beers. I would compare those two at all, though. Like, Special B is like a darker... Well, no, I'm, I'm saying, like, if I'm if I'm making a Belgian-style recipe... Oh, layer it, yeah. I'm, I'm adding Aromatic and Special B. Okay. Like, I'm in. Are, are you not? Like, nope, I'm in. Those are kind of like the two that you're talking about. I just th- I thought you were trying to compare the two, which... I don't oh, no, no, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't. Um, no, so Munich and Aromatic, we can compare. Mm-hmm. So you can sub, uh, like, these malts around. Basically, Munich adds maltiness and color, Aromatic, um, or Melanoidin malt. Yeah. Um, adds uh, an so even stronger malt aroma and deeper color. What, what is melt? It's like toasted bread. Yep. Uh, but uh, as it notes in here, and I was actually going to say that, a little a little bit of aromatic malt like goes really a long like, way. Well, and, and if you're if you're same thing with Munich though too. Both, like. and as we move into the roasted section, same with any kind of roasted malt. A lot of these are less is more. Mm-hmm. A lot of your flavor is going to come from your base malt, and just yeah. If you are truly making five gallon or nineteen liter batches, like the like a palm full of. A uh, dark malt can make a big difference. All right, so uh, roasted malts. We have biscuit malt. Mm-hmm. Um, as its name implies, that's a biscuity or bready quality. Chocolate malt. Um, what's your favorite chocolate malt? Um, you know, UK because it, I don't. Chocolate isn't supposed to taste like chocolate. Yeah, it, mostly color. 
So like uh, not Simpsons, but um, oh boy, it'll come to me. I mean, Simpsons is UK, right? I mean, uh, that, crisp. It, that is one of them. Crisp, crisp. Yeah. It, like uh, I just, oh, man, any mm, Simpsons is so good, but Crisp has some good stuff. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So chocolate malt. Uh, this is not really used outside of Achel, a shell. Whatever. Achel. Yeah. Achel. Achel. Um, so it, this adds aroma, deep red color, and nutty flavors when used in moderation. Um, but it will definitely add way too much roastiness if you use it too much. Totally. What you're going to add more of are these caramel and crystal malts that we're going to talk about, like Cara Vienna, Cara Munich, and Special B. Special B is the darkest one, too. And I think the thing they mention here is converting, is, is stewing before killing, so it's converting the starch and sugars and creating a glass-like texture. So actually the mash happens inside of the kernel, which is kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And so these are not going to convert. These are essentially pre-mashed malts. These will not convert, I, I say again. <laughs> Um, so special B is the one that we want to talk about, I think specifically because it is in so many recipes and it's something that you're going to use, especially if you're making a dunkel mm-hmm. or I, I'm sorry, not a dunkel, a double. I got, I got two German. You got German. <laughs> I got German for a second. Though I would use special B in a dunkel. I think that'd be great. I think it work. Yeah. I think it would work great. No. Uh, so if you're doing a double, one, you're going to use special B. 115 to 155 lava bond, depending on who you're, who you're working or which maltster but yep. anyway um you can get these flavors from other malts but i honestly think like if you go with like the dingerman's special b you're you're gonna get that double flavor well, i mean you know another thing I, I don't remember if this is kind of what, what was your point but you don't necessarily have to use what you're supposed to be use, mm-hmm. using you know Look at the flavors that you're going for, and you can find other malts that will add them, and you can get close. Um, but then we start talking about the dryness of the beer, and without with without sugars, simple sugars, you're not going to get that drinkability, mm. that dryness that we're talking yeah. about with um, Belgian uh, candy sugar. Why is that? Because uh, these simple sugars are... Just that simple. They're a small chain. The yeast are going to well, go for them first and eat them. And the, these longer chains aren't going to get eaten. And then that'll—that's what suffices his body. So, so I'm going to immediately counteract what I just said. Cool. And say, do you need Belgian quote unquote candy sugars in order to replicate that flavor? No. What? What? So. Uh, I'm guessing when you guys do Belgian Belgian styles, you aren't using candy sugar because it's expensive and you need a lot of it. We just we go to the grocery store and buy fifty pound sacks of sugar. So where are you getting those complex melanoidins and those complex flavors that you're getting from? Especially like when you use like a darker candy sugar specialty malt. Okay. Definitely from a specialty malt. You can you can access the same flavor profile by flexing that versus layering. God, a few episodes we talked about turbinado sugar, mm-hmm. like less processed sugar. You know, um, will that certainly lend some some flavor? For sure, it will. But I think you can add these simple sugars and just like work your base malt. Yeah. For complexity, especially when you've got highly modified malts these days, floor malted choices that are highly modified and 
all these crazy specialty malts that you can access, you know. So when, like, and I appreciate that because like, you're now making a Belgian for literally a third of the cost because candy sugar is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Per pound, it's insanely expensive. But what do you say to the fact that, so if I do a dark candy sugar, like that is literally a caramelized sugar that I'm adding to the mash. That's fine. Or, I, or I guess to the to the kettle. It'll add flavor. Uh, compl- it'll certainly add flavor complexity. But do you do you think you could get the same thing with just adding malts to the mash? And I do. But ignoring I, ignoring that, and you don't have to worry about it burning on the bottom of the kettle. And I do, like but that. but there's people that are going to disagree with me. So. Okay. Certainly, this book disagrees with me. So. <laughs> oh, this book definitely disagrees. I, I, I kind of just wanted to talk about candy sugar because uh, of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's candy sugar with an I is the thing. Uh, you can get it in rock, in like rock form, or uh, most common is liquid now. Don't do that to yourself. With do not do rock. Uh, you have to stir that kettle so you, much. You can buy liquid candy Liquid's sugar. great. Also, make sure it doesn't stick to the bottom. That's also a problem. Uh, so make sure you're stirring that kettle when you add sugar in. So yeah, like brown sugar, invert sugar, caramelized sugar, dextrose. Invert sugar still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Glucose and fructose. It's, 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 it's like fructose just... is uh, in, uh, inverted by hydrolysis, resulting in invert sugar that is theoretically easier for yeast to ferment. It's it's just it's sugar. It's varying chain sizes and yeast. Listen, like okay, fine. You, you put it you on can, its head and it's faster. Though. You can. <laughs> <laughs> You can argue about the the this sugar has two chains and, and wears two chains, um, or I only go with three chain sugar. <laughs> Actually, I only go with flavor flav. You you can argue that to death, but I'm I'm gonna remind you all that yeast are lazy and they want to eat the simplest sugar possible. They want to do it as quickly as possible because what do they want to do? They want to flocculate, which is... They want to party. They want to party and they want to go... Then they want to go to sleep. They want to flock and drop. Flock and drop. Pop and lock. <laughs> Look at if you're gonna if you're gonna chuckle, do it into the microphone and then lock, flock, and drop. That's the first thing. That came oh, I'm sorry. I had you muted from when you went to the oh. bathroom. Oh, that's oh. right. <laughs> There's just some dude chuckling off in the background. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I can see him, but anyway, that, right. that's um, where I'm at with it. So, all right. Let's talk hops and spices, and this is going to be a little hard to talk about because the beer that we talked about at the beginning of the show was the Belgian white or the Belgian wit, I where we add spices to. I don't doubt they If you are making a Belgian-style beer, do not add spices. I was just going to say, I don't doubt that Blue Moon Belgian white like doesn't have like a, a buttload of like flavor yep. things. If, you, if you're going for traditional, do not add spices. Um, no hops. Look for noble hops. Yeah, do you, you know you know why you don't want to add any spices because you because you, you get it from the yeast. Get it from the yeast. Do a better job with fermentation control. If you can't Just do good, if you can't, that's fine. But I don't. I, there's coriander and the boil. Go easy on it. Oh, uh, and you guys, you guys have heard us talk about this before too. If you're adding spices to your beer, less is more. 
At you the can top, always add more. Yeah, and at the top of the list of your both bittering and flavor hops, we're talking about Styrian Goldings, Hallertau, Saws. Um, Any know. of these, like, very noble varieties. Yeah, so... And I think... I, uh, I, I know we've done hop shows in the past. We should probably do another episode talking about noble versus non-noble hops, just so everybody kind of understands what it is. I think the main thing here, and we should probably wrap it up, but, like, I think if you want to brew like a monk, uh, you don't add spice to your beer. And if you can name the spice in the beer, it's overdone. If you, yeah, if you think you're guessing, then you're mm-hmm. doing it right. Unless you have a label to look at it, list them all out, and then it's fine. <laughs> all right, uh, is there anything you'd like to add on Belgian-style beers, uh, specifically malt bills? Uh, next week, we will be looking at yeast and fermentation, um, and then finally we'll be looking at bottling um, and then we need another book. So please, guys, let us know what book you want us to go through next. Um, and we'll probably do it because that's what we do. That's kind of what we do. And we we want to learn along with you guys. So, mm-hmm. Gordon, do you have any questions? No, not right now. Well, mm. that's a lie, but we'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, guys, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindnessstudios.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnessstudios. You can follow us on Twitter at blindnessquareninja. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace.